Welcome to Home Education Matters, the weekly podcast supporting you on your home education journey. We are joined today by Juliet. Juliet, why don't you tell us a little bit about your home education journey to begin with? Yeah, well, well, I hope I can be of help too, because I'm also quite a way along in my journey, um, 24 years along, in fact, uh, with my youngest child being 16 and I've home educated seven children, but I am on a lot of groups and forums. And so, you know, I am pretty much clued up on what is happening in the UK and how things work. Uh, and I also run a monthly advice drop-in for our local area as well. So uh have at least an idea i wonder whether you could give us just a brief rundown of the deregistering process so what so say for example we've got a member who maybe okay you know i've my my son has come home from school again in tears i've had enough i want to pull them out of school what do i do so maybe you could just talk us through that that very those very first few days i'm not speaking for scotland and wales okay i don't i'm not as familiar with scotland and wales but for england it is as simple as writing a letter to the school and saying, I would I would like to deregister or to remove my child from the child's register according to now, now I don't know, the Education Act, whatever. We've got now. a draft uh, letter. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah I that, so there's a draft in the group, super. And you say, you know, with immediate effect or if you're wanting to be at the end of the week or the end of the term, it depends on you, you can say that. But if you, you can literally put that letter in the same day you remove your child. Do you need evidence now, that, that you handed you, it in or anything like that? You don't need to give any reason. They're not really allowed to ask for any reason. They may ask you for a meeting to discuss your reasons. You do not legally have to take be in that you, to you know, agree to a meeting. Mm. And it, you are not requesting. You are not asking permission. You are telling them. You're giving them an instruction. However, if your child is at a special school, you do have to ask for permission. So that is the only difference. If your child is on an EHCP and they're in a mainstream school, no, it's an instruction. But it's different for a special school. So do go and just check that out. But you are the parent. The law says you have a duty to provide the education for your child, whether by school or otherwise. You make that, you give that instruction. It's not a request. And nobody's allowed to try and change your mind. So you hand your letter in, and if the school says, we'd like to have a meeting with you to discuss it, you can say no. If they want to ring you, you can say no. And what yeah. about your ch- your children's work? Can you go and get that? How does that work? Um, it depends. You know, this is something, I'm not sure if there's like a legal thing about it at all. I think it's very much up to the school. So you can, you could request it, and the school may decide to be spiteful and not give it to you or they may give it to you. So it just really depends on the school. But I think I would say keep the tone respectful. Mm -hmm. Keep it it polite. And, you know, maybe you want to even send a thank you gift into the teacher or something, you know, if you feel that, that, you know, they did at least try with your child. But you can remove that child on the same day. And um, you oh, this is something I'd say, for instance, and you can actually, if you want to decline a meeting, just say to them, look, I've fulfilled my legal obligations. By handing and, the letter in. Yes. Mm. And it's if you can, get a receipt. Because right. even if they respond to the email and don't say we accept it, the fact that they've responded to the email you sent, is deregistering, is proof that they received it. They yeah. received the instruction. And what if you hand it yeah. to the secretary or something like that? You can just give you a receipt. Mm-hmm. to show that they've received it or maybe you can write something up and they must just sign that they've received yeah. it. Uh, yeah, so you, you should get a receipt if they if they acknowledge it in any way, that's fine. Um, some of them are quite difficult. Some schools are quite difficult because they don't know the law and they will mm. try try different things. Um, also, if somebody, if you, uh, we, the question we often get asked is like, say for instance, you go to the doctor and the doctor asks about how your child's educated mm. you, say they're home educated do say it with a nice upbeat oh no he's home educated so, yeah yeah you know don't don't the one thing you don't want is oh, well, home educated yeah mm-hmm. but um and if they say oh you know do you need to notify the local authority you just say well i've, I've fulfilled all my legal 
obligations mm. i've done what i'm legally required to do because so you only need to tell the school you don't need to tell anyone yeah, else. it's not your you're not legally required to notify the local authority the school is legally required your legal obligation is to notify the school the school notify the local authority that's the theory so legally so actually if we think about it there is already a register of home educated children if children have been in school already they are on a register regardless mm. so mm. um that's why we think there's no need to put it in law yeah. Yeah. it's all it's all those of us that have never put our children into school that are just sidling along unknown well, the thing is, is there's not even that many so most children the majority of home educated mm. children are already known so mm. yeah that's a whole other conversation <laughs> I would say, you know, the, the number one thing to remember when as when you come into home education, knowledge is power. You really do need to go and get the information for yourself as much as possible and make it part of your your own knowledge. So these groups are great because they do get, get give advice. But you've got to bear in mind that sometimes people pop on and comment that actually don't have that much experience um, or have, are fairly new themselves and only have their own experience to go on. And it's your responsibility to make sure you know what you're doing. It's not anyone else's responsibility to make sure you know what you're doing. You're the yeah. only one. And so your number one thing you should do is go and read the government guidance. There's one for local yeah. authorities and one for parents, and it's worth reading both. Oh, really? Are they different? Yeah. They do differ slightly, and it also gives you an insight into what the local authorities' approach might be. So the local That's authority is going on their advice and we're going on the parents' one. So I always, it's all, to me, you know, it's just better to go and make sure you have all the information. So if you're able to read both, go and read both. Make some notes for yourself of what legally you're required to do and what legally you're not required to do because um, that is your power. Yeah, and unfortunately it is the case where in some parts of the UK it is up to us to remind local authorities of their job because there are some that think that they have a remit that they don't actually have um, and somewhere they actually misquote the law. Uh, it's, it's, it is scary, but we need to know that because it is power and we are empowering ourselves to know how to respond. So, so what are the yes, basic things we need to know? Um, so when yeah. we're confronted with somebody who may be saying something that isn't right, what are the sort of like the, the well, basic the, things we need to know? Well, I think the very first thing to know is that you absolutely have a legal right to home educate mm -hmm. and nobody can tell you different. Um, the circumstances differ depending on if you have a child with special educational needs or if you have a looked after child, that kind of thing will be different. Mm -hmm. But um, for the most part, the law, well, the law, what the law actually says is that it is the duty of the parent to provide an education for their child. It doesn't actually say it's the duty of the local authority or the government or anything like that. It says the duty is on the parent. And the duty of the local authority is actually not to prove that you're providing a suitable education. The duty is to, pr to prove that you're not providing an unsuitable education, if you get the difference. Yeah, so, so, so the onus is on them to prove that you're doing it wrong. Is, yes, is, if, is they, the, if they want yeah. to take it further, you know, so if so, it's not that you have to prove anything. They have to prove that you're not doing it. Ah, it's interesting. So you have to provide reports, I believe, do you? Like, or is or do you not? You actually don't. Uh, you can provide information in which, whichever form you prefer. And that's actually what it does say in the guidance. Sorry, okay. there's a lot of background noise here. I don't know if you're picking it up on my mic. It's okay. Um, but... Um, you know, you, 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 some, we even joke, you know, you could provide that information through interpretive dance if you chose, you know, <laughs> few, few of us will choose that option. But uh, generally, a report is a more convenient option because you can put neat little headings, you can slot everything under, you can provide that information. Um, legally, you're not even required you, to provide evidence, you're not required to provide a timetable. They often um, ask that, they, they, do they, they ask, often they ask for ask. evidence. So yes. they have and no rights to ask for that. Well, it's it's basically, if they're asking for evidence, my point of view is they're actually calling you a liar. Mm. So if you say something in the report and they say, oh, well, no, well, we actually need something to back that up, that's, that is actually basically they're saying, well, we don't trust you, no, trust mm. your word. Yeah. And there's actually nothing in the law to suggest that they can take that stance at all. The law, as it's currently worded, maintains this balance between parent and state. It maintains protections for both parties. 
which is very necessary. If um, you were to not provide, if, if they were to say we want evidence and you were to say, well, you've got no, no legal right to ask for that, is there a concern that they might then escalate that to... Yes, to sort and of, it does hmm. happen. And it does happen. It's very much for the parent to decide what they want to do about it. Um, the risk is that if you provide that information, they may yet say they may then say it's still not enough, and they may demand more information, and they may demand more information. So you have to decide where you draw that line for yourself. The same applies as to whether you allow the local authority to visit you in your home or not, or you meet with them in person. It's for you to decide where you feel comfortable. Some local authorities, it seems have unright, unjustly sort of set themselves in opposition to home educators. So instead of seeing themselves as being a supportive force, which they can be, uh, so we're very lucky here in Coventry, we have a very supportive, positive local authority that's really helpful to families and nobody feels threatened. So we're quite, people are quite happy to meet with her because she, she sticks to the law. But in some local authorities, they don't. And the culture is one of hostility almost or of conflict towards home mm. educators. There's some local authorities where they want to see every single child in their area back in school. So wow. if they're starting out from that basis, if that's their starting mm. point, they're not really interested in anything you're going to show them. They're going to have a problem with everything you show them. Because they're and, starting from the standpoint that they already think what you're doing is wrong. Yeah. Some local authorities might say it's not enough. And uh, so I have helped quite a few people with their report writing and that kind of thing. You know, the thing is, is what I would do is perhaps you, you can put some extra like examples of things you've done in there. Um, another thing you can do is, so I would often say to people just to also use bullet points. So if you've done like a number of different things through the year, mm. you say, yeah, over the course of the year we have covered the Romans, the Tudors, the blah, 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 whatever, you know, mm. bullet point list. Um, it, it, you know, you kind of can feel that way, your way out. But a local authority is actually kind of obliged, if they're not happy with your report, they're obliged to kind of come back and say to you, look, I've got some concerns about this, about that, about that. They, they're meant to state what their concerns are. Okay. Some of them don't. And some of them you've got to go back and ask them and then they still don't answer you. But then that's what these groups are for is to support you through those sorts of communications. Mm. So if they come back to you with concerns, then you should be able to come back and address that concern. The other thing, just to going back on the subject of reports, is always put in a list of resources. And some people okay. joke and say, put, I have one brown marker. I have one green marker. <laughs> I've one, you know, that that's an extreme. But you know, you in that list of resources, you list like anything, you know. So you've got marker pens, we've got pencil crayons, we've got wax Oops, crayons, got. we've got a whiteboard, we've got a uh, coloring in books, we've got you know, read aloud books, we've got reading books, we've got a computer, we've you know, we've got play equipment. So you put everything down there, um, and and this, you know, we we were talking early on about progress the mm. thing about progress all I would do is if you've done a report before refer back to that and say this is where we were at last year and this is what's happened in the past year and don't you say know. what you're going to do in the future yeah yeah and yeah. Uh, the thing even with saying in the past what you can even say is is that this is what you was doing last year in order to address that we've attempted this and this but it really hasn't worked it out well so we found it necessary to strip it back to basics and now we're doing this and this so you can say that you know, the thing I found with home educating is that my children used to do all their little maths workbooks. And when I was checking their work, if I found they made just one mistake, it bothered me that they hadn't grasped the concept. Mm. And so I would want to go back and I would want to understand. I would go back and say, look, okay, I can see what you've done here. Just, just take a little look and see because I'd want them to understand. So I was interested in 100% mastery. 100% you understood it, because what's the point of moving on if you haven't understood? In school, they can get 50%, 40% right, they'll still be moved on regardless. So, you know, you there's a big difference, and this is what we're trying to convey, you know, to your local authorities, that, you know, you only move on when you absolutely, you can say, you know, I didn't want him to move on until I was 100% sure he understood and grasped the concepts. And it's about the language you use, and it's worth using. There are report checking services out there. People will check their reports. It's worth getting somebody to look over it for you. It doesn't have to be a report checking service. It can be a friend whose English is really good and they write beautifully and, you you know, they spell beautifully because mm. as a home educator, we need to reflect ourselves well. 
because if we write a badly written report, the grammar's all over the place, the spelling's all over the place, there's no punctuation, that reflects badly there because then they will basically say, oh, these home educators, how can they teach their children? They don't even know how to write. Mm. We know some of the local authorities can't even write. We know this for a fact. <laughs> but The MPs can't, right? But Yeah, but we're, we're at risk. You know, so we, we're the ones that are going to be pulled up on it. So please do yourself a favor, get somebody to check it for you. And, um, you know, and a reasonable local authority, and there are a good few number of reasonable local authorities, you won't have a problem. Yeah. It's just, that, you know, but do find out what your local authority is like in your area and what you can expect from them. We interrupt this broadcast to remind you to like and subscribe to our podcast. And don't forget to join our Home Education Matters Facebook group, where you can find details on all our podcasts, any links or resources mentioned, chat to our guests, request upcoming podcasts, and even come on the podcast yourself. Do join us over there. So that brings to another point is that before you, you know, when in those very early days, it's worth finding out what your local authority are like in the area, getting to know all the people connecting in with your local communities. And you can, you can pretty much search home education and the name of your city or your region or whatever, and, and a group will come up and you need to get into that group. This is on Facebook, obviously. So you need to get into that group and then you find out from others, okay, what can you tell me about our local authority? Because that will guide you. And then you've also got support if things go wrong and you sort of find out how other people are handling it. Um, what, I because... find, what I find really helpful with the local groups is if you can't find your local group, if you, if you get into a group that is as close to local as possible and ask in there, most people who live in one section will actually travel quite a way to home That's education right. events. Yes. So, so they will be able to sort of tag you into different groups. Yeah. So, so you've got a lot of overlap. Sure you've are. got mm. yeah, a lot of overlap. So even my group, which is local, Local to Warwickshire, uh, we have members from Leicestershire, Nottinghamshire, Northamptonshire, um, kind of quite a wide spread of people. So, uh, and then we also have a lot of other Coventry members are part of the Warwickshire group and mm. that kind of thing. So, um, yes, you can pick up connections because some groups they like you to have actually met in person first. Some yeah. local groups they want to have actually uh, had a, had contact, which can be very hard if you're a newcomer and you don't know anybody. I mean, how do you find out where those mm. people are? So uh, then you can also ask on the national groups. So join the national groups and ask for people in your area to make contact with you, make themselves known. But I think that's very important is to have the local information for your area because somebody might give you inf advice about dealing with a local authority. Somebody might say, oh, no, we had our lady and she was lovely. It was no problem. But yeah. she doesn't know your area and doesn't know what your local mm. authority is like. And um, since the Judicial Review in Portsmouth, even though the law didn't change, there are um, local authorities who are looking at that judgment and saying, oh, this allows us to do this and to ask this because of this judgment but actually the law hasn't changed. Mm. So, so do you feel uh, that there was a kind of uh, like um, a, a trickle-down effect from the Portsmouth thing? There, there definitely was. And our, our experience of local authorities has been that they sometimes act even in anticipation. So so even with the schools bill, there's some local authorities that are changing their approach almost as if it's already in law. Oh, really? Yeah. So, well, you know, they're really... That's they crazy because it's miles yeah, away, they right? Just start, they just start putting, you know, sort of asking for a little bit more and sort of almost assuming like that's already the case. And it, it's very much down to individuals, your individual local authority, your individual officers. Um, and a, a lot of the local authorities are being drawn from teachers, to people with teaching experience or safeguarding experience. Mm. Um, I believe in one, one area it was even somebody with bailiff experience. So it's like, what that cult, whatever the culture of that local authority mm. is, they're going to hire somebody that lines up with the culture that they're mm. that they've created there. And, and you need to like kind of know that, don't you? Yes, so you, you know what know you're that. confronting. You need to mm. know that, yeah. And um, you know, it's it's it is a bit of a postcode lottery, I'm afraid. Uh, but and there so is a lot of support. There is a there is a group that deals just with 
problematic. It's a bit of a clinic for those who are having issues with their local authority. That's right. Um, it's, it's official officialdom or something. Officialdom, right? home home education in your local authority, and officialdom, something like that. If you type That's in right. home education, local authority, officialdom, it'll mm. probably come up. But very helpful because they, you know, there's a lot of good support and a lot of experience, combined experience there. So. You know, we... And you mentioned um, you mentioned the the sort of the people coming you know whether that you can choose if they come into your house or not mm. um, because I know that there are some reports of of um, people coming to your door and just sort of doorstepping you and yeah. you not expecting them so you've got the right to turn them away at that stage I think. yeah you know it's it's not considered good practice to just arrive at somebody's home without an appointment it's not but, good manners is it yeah no exactly and and so I've I've actually worked a lot with our local authority here in Coventry because um I've got more experience uh, you know I'm an older home educator and um, you know, you sort of come with a bit of a uh, sort of experience under your belt. And I'm actually a social worker from my past life. Mm. And one of my other home educating friends is a teacher. And the two of us, teacher and a social worker, we went along and we were able to engage really well with mm. our local authority. Because first of all, they kind of like could hardly ignore us mm. because we're coming, we're teachers and a social mm. worker who've given up to, to home educate our own kids. So they can't like dismiss you. Mm. Um, and, and we we sort of spoke and really, really focused on mutual trust and respect. Yeah. That in order, if you want a good relationship with people, there has to be mutual trust and respect. You have to treat people the way you want to be treated. You know, you catch more flies with honey than with vinegar. You know, all of that. That, that actually, if you people will engage with you better. Yeah. If you are nice and you are helpful and you genuinely are interested in what's good for that kid, yeah. uh, yeah. people will engage. And so the engagement here is quite high. Uh, and generally, you know, it's it ticks on fairly fairly nicely here. Um, where uh, there are, they still have issued some school attendance orders, but those are in situations where they have tried to help them first, mm. and it just hasn't worked out. So mm. um, I don't know too many details about that, but it hasn't meant that they they just didn't do their job. They still were doing mm. their job and trying to make sure children were where they needed to be. But they overall are supportive of home education as a legal choice for parents. And it's and about, about that respect, you know. And what about the reports? Is there anything that you that you should put in? Because I, I know that um, I was speaking to, I can't remember who it was, years ago. And they said that what the local authority wants to see is a kind of progression of learning. So they want to sort of see that what what the child knew a year ago, they know a bit extra than they knew then. But is, is there any kind of format or any kind of things that you, you feel that should be covered in the reports or, or, what, yeah. or whatever you produce? Well, I normally say to people, start off by doing like a little bit of an introduction to who you are, maybe as a family and what works well for you. So you give like a little bit of an overview that this is the approach we take um, and this is what works well for us and, you know, this is what we're doing. You don't say... Um, this is what we're planning for. This is what we're aspiring to. You don't say any of that. The, it's best to keep it in the present tense mm. um, because if you put any big goals out there, then they may mm. try and hold you to them. So you don't mm. do that. You just you just kind of talk about this is who we are. This, and then you you can then maybe go into like a little bit of a description of each child uh, unless you're going to do a separate report for each child. So do a little bit of a summary of this is this child, this, you know, maybe you want to say they, they have an eight, EHCP because of dyslexia or there and um, you know so workers needed to focus on this and this and this and you just talk mm. about what you're focusing on then you can break it down by subject now if you're like an unschooler or somebody who doesn't really pursue like a formal structured form of education that's absolutely fine it's just about conveying everything in kind of what they will understand so yeah. if you you know even if you don't do formal maths you could say under your heading, you know, we don't do any sit down formal mess, but we do a lot of baking, which involves measuring. And recently, Johnny um, worked, he worked out, you know, how fast a car has to go to get here. And, you know, and or, or, you know, he does the shopping and he learns to do the budget and whatever, you know, so you can put things like that in that fall under that topic. And then, you know, like for physical education, you could say, no, well, we go for a walk, you know, once mm, a week and mm. we do this once a week and then go to taekwondo classes, you can put that in. Um, and you just, it's just about finding a heading that you can slot each thing. I've just recently helped somebody who's doing a an updated report from last year. Mm. 
And basically, I've just said to her to say, um, as mentioned in my report last year, we were working on this and this. In in this past year, this is what we've done, you know. Mm. Or like the one son who's got some learning needs. You, see, you know, we, we, we had to really take things slowly at, at his pace, but he's actually becoming more curious and mm. we, he's enjoying doing this and whatever. And, and she's kept it fairly – you can actually keep it fairly vague but then you give specific like some specific examples so when they say they want to see examples that's an example there's a uh, you can give an example without providing photocopy of their work or whatever, yeah exactly you know? yeah um and also just don't provide photographs to me that's like if they're asking for photographs it's not really um so you, you can give you examples to, of work I wouldn't. I would write about it. You know, mm. they're reading this, they're reading that, and they're reading whatever. At this is that level. because you're setting the bar like almost too high for yourself for for the future? I think or? it's just it's just you're trying to keep it to what information you feel they're entitled to. Mm. Uh, and because if sometimes if you get into too much detail, you can actually set yourself up for that being picked apart. Mm. So it's it's about choosing your words carefully, and you can, um, you know. So even if your child is performing at a slightly lower level than what they would normally be for their age, it might be that they started off at a lower level. So then I would say, when Johnny came out of school, he was only reading at this level. Mm. Uh, he still quite hasn't hasn't quite reached the level for his age, but he has progressed from that level to this level. You know, yeah. so you could yeah. you can do things like that. Um, it's. You know, I think the, it's more about just, just sort of showing that you're doing something about each kind of little area that you define. Do um, so they like to see the different curriculum subjects being approached? Yeah, even if you're not approaching them formally. You just mm -hmm. take what you are doing and you just slot it under a topic, you know. And um, what I find, what some people like to do is just keep a diary throughout the year and just keep little notes or you're taking photographs and you've got photographs mm -hmm. on your phone and you can go and remember what you did. Yeah, some people yes. set up Facebook profiles and things like that just yes. purely to, yes. to keep track Have of their record. work. But mm. I always say do you keep the record for yourself and for mm. your child. Yeah. That the information helps you write a report is fine, but it's not for the benefit of the local authority. It's for you mm. because mm. you want the record. So that, you know, don't anything, do it for yourself first. Um, and it is good to hold on to some information so that even if, if you do eventually – uh, end up in a situation where you have to really prove to court or something that you do have have that information somewhere uh, to provide to the court if you want to because yeah. the, the court's a different story but just then to going back to the GCSE uh, the when the kids are a bit older that really is about what you know I always try and engage with my children from when they get to about 12 13 to start thinking about what direction they want to move in Mm. And I kind of explained to them how the world works and how the UK education system works, the kinds of things people like to see, uh, what the different routes are. So we will talk about, like, you know, if you wanted to do certain things, you would have to go to university and you'd have to, uh, to get into university, you'd have to satisfy this requirement and mm. why all these little things along the way are necessary. So you're describing the hoops to them. And then let them choose, you know, they can think about how, how they want to approach those hoops, if they want to jump through them, if they want to go around them, you know, they want to kick them out the way, you know. Crash through them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, so what I've found is that um, what has happened is, is that they've all been quite different. Now, if you say, we've used the college system quite a lot, which is a vocational college that they can go into post-16 and they can do a course that's vocational in nature. And some colleges, if the child has got a, a good body of proof behind them that they are equipped to take on a course, they will often accept a portfolio format. Not GCSEs. I, sometimes some of them are funny about it, but I have had it where I've gone directly to the tutor and said, look, I don't know what to do with this kid anymore. All he does is spend lots of time on his computer, but this is what he's doing mm -hmm. and had a portfolio of everything he's been doing. And then the tutor looked at what, the artworks and so on. My son was doing on Photoshop and said, well, this is distinction level. So I want to put him straight on the BTEC level three extended, mm. which is the equivalent of A levels. But he's going to have to do his maths and English while he's here, which he did. Yeah, I, I have you know? heard that, that, you, mm -hmm. can, that um, you can get accepted into college courses and then they basically help you through your maths and English. GCC. Yeah, yeah. So it's, 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 you know, the colleges, like the colleges, they just give them something to work with. You can't go empty handed. Mm. 
because they need to see. And especially as home educators, I think we owe it to those that come after us to show that actually, you know, we 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 come with something because there's often mm. we hear people say, oh, you know, I had this child come and they had like done nothing at home and. You know, and just I doubt very much that kids have done nothing at home, but you need mm. to present it in a format mm. uh, to show kind of what you've what you've accomplished. And I used so, to say to my children when we used to go out, when they sort of hit their teens and were being slightly obstreperous, I used to say to them, "You're every time you go out, you know, during school school days." I said, you're representing the home education community because people will know you're not at school and that you're homeschooled. So you're representing a whole community of people. I think yeah. it was just my, my way to try to get them to behave better. But. Yeah, and I get, I get that we shouldn't worry really about what people think of us. But I think, you know, do other home educators a favor and, and kind of mm. set the record straight. So we've had, I've had, I've had uh, some of my children go into college with no GCSEs. Um, mm -hmm. And they allowed them to either tackle it while they were there. I had one daughter who never got GCSEs because she had been working on some other stuff and she had like a transcript of her grades for that, mm. what she had been doing. It was a more formal sort of system. They accepted that. Okay. Um, and she did get a university place after college as well because she got did all she get a levels or did she get like so she or? did the BTEC level three extended, which is equivalent mm. to three A levels. And so she um was did really really well with that mm. and uh, she she got uh, all distinctions so she got was able to get a university place okay so there are um, sort of alternative routes into college and yeah. university but they're perhaps a little harder yeah and some or you have to be say, a bit more some people will say it was a bit more like that a few years ago um and it's very much dependent on the individual college and on perhaps speaking to the tutor, because if, like we, in my son's case, we just happened to speak to a tutor who had a like, great appreciation for what my son had accomplished and was determined to get him on the course, mm. you know, mm. um, and that was extremely, you know, helpful. So mm. I actually, I think I went along on enrollment day and we took a portfolio with us and said, just, just approached it from, we didn't say we want him on this course or that course or anything, or we want him on this level. We just said, look, um, can you perhaps tell us where, you know, if you've got a course that would be a good fit for what he's done, this is what he's mm. been working on. And um, and that kind of approach worked quite well. And they put him straight um, onto the, the highest option that he could have. So that was good what for about, us. What about things like personal statements and sort of, you know, references and stuff for colleges and universities? You may, I, I think you need them for university, but perhaps you don't need them for college. But it's quite yeah. difficult when you don't have a teacher to sort of vouch mm. for you. Yeah, you don't don't need it for college, but I would definitely try and get an interview because mm. the interview, um, the child then has an opportunity to speak to them for themselves. And the one thing I have noticed with a lot of home educated children is because they've had their um, interests, uh, they are able to speak about their passion, speak about their interests, mm. and the tutors really, really like seeing that and seeing how articulate they are. Um, yeah, I also think that one one huge thing that home educators have going for them is is that generally the children are much more autonomous about their workloads and their you know their study, yeah. which which is 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 something that universities I know a couple of university professors and they moan all the time about increasingly that that students are coming to them at eighteen and they they've just been spoon fed information and they don't really know how to study for themselves and yeah. we don't tend to have that in the home education world. We're quite lucky. It, it is really funny because I did overhear my my one daughter went for a uni open day recently and. Um, I overheard one of the you know, lecturers or whatever they call them telling another parent, oh, you know, we spend the first year just teaching them how to manage their own learning. Yeah. So I said to my daughter, you could probably jump to second year. Exactly. <laughs> Skip a year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. yeah so, so I've got a, I've got seven children and six of them have, are sort of either in work or in at uni. Um, my youngest is, is uh, about to start A-levels. So we, um, yeah, it's all a bit, all a little, you know, we're on that side of it now. And um, there's there's always ways, but as a parent, it does mean sometimes you need to pursue, you need to get on the phone, speak to try mm. and set up an interview for your child, um, get them preparing a portfolio. Um, and, you know, if, if you can get a face-to-face, -face, it's often really, mm. really helpful. One thing that I, I noticed as you, as you mentioned that you were asking your children about, you know, sort of explaining the system and how they wanted to approach the hurdles. Uh, would you consider yourself to be an unschooler? Because I know that a lot of 
people aren't aware of all the different approaches to home education. And I wonder whether you could sort of maybe talk us through a little bit about the different approaches to home education and yeah. what your options are. Yeah, I can do that. Um, so I actually wrote an article on different approaches to home oh, education. Brilliant. Maybe um, you can pop it in the comments below. Uh, after this, yeah, I'd have know. to go and find it. I have to go and find <laughs> it. I actually, if, if you don't mind me mentioning this, I actually have a website which is mm. called Juliet English Home Educator and it's julietenglish.co.uk. So there's uh, um, a link to articles there just because I'm busy with a bunch of things and I'm also um, have quite a bit of experience. It's just a place where people can kind of connect mm. and see all the things that I'm involved in. So, um, yeah, so the question was about the different approaches. Yeah, mm. so, so obviously the first most obvious one is like adopting school at home. And a lot of us, when we start out, we think we have to do school at home. We have to have class, have to have timetables, have to have all of the structure. Mm. And I started out exactly the same way, ordered like a full curriculum, one for this mm. child, one for that child. And it was a like great curriculum. You tick off all the boxes when they do it, but it was extremely hard work. It was very, it's expensive very as well, right? <laughs> it was expensive, but it was gorgeous. Had beautiful books, reading books, very literature based, and and was fantastic. But it was burning me out because, for say, for um, history, there was a history book for this child, history book for that child, history book, and each one had to be gone through. And then the mm. science, the same thing, same thing, same thing. And um, so, and and I was you know, having to read like for hours on end, reading to one after the other. Mm. And that kind of thing. So it was quite exhausting. Uh, and then so after a few years, I thought, okay, this isn't working. So I did what I decided, okay, maths and English are the subjects where you kind of like want to keep a child like on age level. It's sequential. Mm -hmm. So you, you did this work and then you add that on, you add that on, you add that on. Yeah. You build on your, your foundations. So I um, basically just said, look, to each of the kids, I said, you know, this here's your math and English book. I wrote a little thing. I said, do so many pages of this per day, but do so many pages of that per day. They each had like a printed out mm. thing. Mm. And they would basically keep it there next to them. And they would just, I, I used to keep their pages in a file and they would just take their pages out. And, and it wasn't onerous. It wasn't overly heavy because they're not in school. They're mm. going to get through way more, way quicker. Because, was this workbooks and things like that? These were workbooks that I had from the curriculum I'd ordered, and I actually mm. used them for many years. Mm. For many years, I just photocopied them for the next child. And but a lot um, of these these kind of workbooks, um, they're available in like Smiths and the yeah, range and, and all Amazon sorts of places, like supermarkets these, yeah. and mm, yeah. Mm. And and get recommendations from others. And please, if it isn't working for your child, throw it away. Yeah, yeah, because this everyone is different, and I was fortunate where most of the stuff worked for most of my kids. I think, I think we just had a fairly good routine. They just did what they were told. So, um, yeah, but uh, yeah. <laughs> um, they were just used to it. This is what we do, so they didn't mm. really question. But that I know that's not the case for a lot of people. But it was so math and English, and everything else we did, we just did together. So if we were doing anything science related or art or history, we just did it together. And over the years, I got sort of way more, you know, relaxed about that. Um, and to begin with, did you kind of plan these timetables? So did you sort of say, okay, like math and English, they take out their workbooks, but we're going to do this for science this week. We're going to do this for art. Did you sort of, so did you structure a timetable in that way? No, you never did that. I did have, I, ha I would have a book that I decide I'm going to work through and mm. we would just work through it. Um, and then what I found really helpful is if you can connect with another family that you get on well with, or even two or three other families mm. where the kids all get on well, you get on well, schedule like a weekly get together. Mm. And you decide, okay, this for this term we're going to do, maybe you're going to do chemistry or maybe you're going to do history. And you get together and you take turns as mums to do a little like presentation with the kids or involve your kids, whatever. And then we would do an activity together. And when they were done that, we would have our lunch and the kids would go off and play. Mm. And this was like normally our Friday end of the week thing. And the children actually really enjoyed that because they were with their friends. So they were responding and they like, if you want to satisfy somebody's, some nosy relative, they're doing group work, learning how to work part of a group. And it was fun because it was like end of the week. Yay. We're going off to our friends or they're coming to you and you do something fun together. And um, you're all the mums. There's no, you're taking it in turn. So it's not like just pressure on one person. 
and then you do a fun activity, you have some food, mm. you go and play, and that's like your downtime on a Friday. That mm. we would that's what we used to do. And that kept me honest in respect of making sure we ticked some boxes where we yeah. if I if I was at home I might not have got around to it or I might have yeah. I thought I'll do it next week and uh, I needed that kind of accountability sometimes um, so you started quite structured and then you drifted into sort of like a more semi-structured and then yeah then then did you move towards unschooling or have you did you never get that far never all the way never all the way so it was always like I think because we had a lot of disruption in our family. So we moved cities at one point and we didn't have any of our stuff for six weeks. And uh, then I had a baby. Then my parents moved in with us for eight months. And then, it, you know, it was mm. lots of disruption. And so I just said to the kids, if you can just do a bit of math and English every day, just a little bit of math and English, that kept me, like, kind of kept me happy that at least those very basics were what being we, covered. Yeah, what we what we found as a family is that it is that it fluctuates. So sometimes mm -hmm. we'll go through a, a few months where we don't have much on socially, or maybe it's winter and we're not yeah. going out much, and we do a lot more lessons. Yeah. And then other times they sort of it drifts off and it's a lower priority. And I found that over the years, um, my two are like fourteen and sixteen now, mm -hmm. that we've actually covered a huge amount, but not in this in a very pressured way. So mm -hmm. I wonder for somebody who's just starting home home educating their son, who's what ten, so quite young still. Would you say you know um, always do some maths and English, but the rest sort of float around, or or would you say you know or not to de-school, for example, and perhaps yeah. you could explain a bit about de-school. Well, I think it, it really depends. It really, really is so dependent on each family and each child and what works for your lifestyle. So um, here we have an ASD-diagnosed child. Potentially, we have uh, someone who likes a bit of order, mm -hmm. who likes a bit of predictability, doesn't like, uh, doesn't find flexibility or too much spontaneity, a little unnerving. And then, you know, you do need to have some structure and try and stick to that and have systems in place. Now, I actually prefer the term rhythm to structure. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, if you can, if you, you just, what I found is that over time we had patterns emerge of what worked for us. Of a yeah, rhythm. And, and actually that goes for the whole day, doesn't it? I think mm. it, a rhythm to your day yeah. helps so much. Yeah. yeah. And so it really depends on, on your child. And I think that uh, if your child is old enough and capable enough, it's always good sitting down with them and having the chat and not imposing. School imposes. Mm. Um, in fact, I heard such a lovely phrase and I'm, I, I've seen it is one, I went and looked it up and it's not an unknown one, but it, I've never heard it in a home educating context in all these years. And that was talking about the model of the sage on the stage, mm. which is like your teacher standing, I'm all knowing, all wise, mm. and I tell you stuff, towards the guide on the side. Oh, I like and, that. Yes. Mm. And so, so home education, the model we're really looking at is the guide on the side, the facilitator, the person mm. who kind of is, you, you're trying to help that child flourish and bloom but you're wanting to come alongside them and facilitate. And if they need a bit of help, if they if they show an interest in something to try and plug in whatever they need, but it's kind of really being um, initiated by them. And so, I think actually what you say is so true, because I think if you can involve your child in, uh, if they do want that kind of rhythm to their day or they want they want a certain amount of timetabling or structure, I find that it really helps to involve them in the process. So you say to them, OK, what subjects do you want to do? OK, I, I want you to do math and English, for example. What do you want to do? And then together you write the timetable yeah. or, or preferably they write the timetable themselves. Yeah. And, and also the other thing I'm sure you would you would agree with is that timetables shouldn't be too rigid and that like mm. every week or so. I mean, I, I did a timetable for my daughter recently because she was sort of literally not getting out of bed. And so I thought, let's do a timetable together. And we and we actually timetabled really fun stuff in as well so that it didn't feel just like an onerous timetable. And then a week later, we were tweaking it and changing it. And I think that's the other thing is that it's that flexibility of homeschooling that you yeah. can actually just sort of change things. Yeah, around. and I would definitely say with a 10-year-old, they may not be used to it because they've only come out of school from March, which is still, you know, kind of a period when they you're trying to get some of that schooliness out of them to them for them to realize the absolute freedom and gift of time that you've given them so perhaps and, you actually as you say that perhaps you could just because this is de-schooling isn't it so perhaps yeah. you could sort of mention that a little bit well de-schooling is about you know before school 
there wasn't school, okay? <laughs> For thousands of years, there was no such thing as school unless you were like some, uh, you know, Greek, somebody's son or a Roman, mm. uh, you know, aristocrat, you know, Roman noble's son. You know, generally, most children grew up alongside their parents learning the craft or trade that their parents was engaged, were engaged in helping around the home. Mm. And I think that's actually the model we're trying to go back to in some ways. We're not, obviously, yeah. I'm not a carpenter teaching my child carpentry alongside me at home, but there's other things that you can pass on. And school, what school does is school is all about, okay, you do this this time, that time, that time, that time. There's only one way to get this information in your head, and that is for me to stand at the front and give you that information. Um, you can't have lunch now because we all have lunch together. There's all of these different mentalities and mindsets that are necessary in a school because you're managing a large group of children. Mm. And they are essentially crowd control. And for my, many of us as parents, even coming through that system ourselves, we think you can't learn outside of that. That's the only way you learn. And we know it's not true because learning is the most natural thing in the world. Mm. Alongside breathing, we learn. Mm. Unless you were locked in a dark little room with no light and nothing around you, you're learning. And so it's coming, everything is learning. So, you know, if you're cooking, you're learning. If you, you know, going out in the garden, looking at plants, if you're going for a walk in the street, you're learning all the time and your children are learning all the time. And so with, uh, when you're coming out of the school situation, it's trying to get yourself to understand that actually this isn't wasted time. If I'm sitting in, it looks like I'm doing nothing. Mm. It's actually not nothing. There's something going on mm. up here. Play is learning. And actually play to me is one of the most important ways a child can learn. Mm. So um, you, we have to get that school thinking out of ourselves just as much as a, a child does. And so often it's recommended that you try and take a break if you can from when your child comes out of school that you just kind of ease off totally and don't expect school. But legally we have to appear to be giving an education from day one. So mm. legally, we could get ourselves in hot water if we say, oh, well, we're doing nothing at the moment. We're just like de-schooling. That there are things you could say in a report is say, you know, since uh, since Johnny came home, we, you know, we, we needed to take some time to figure out how he learns best and to find out what his interests are and to adapt to his specific learning style. So you can use wording like that which is basically, mm. you know, we're taking a little bit of break and we're just watching, checking it out. Because you also need to observe your child and you observe what do they respond to well, how do they learn, how do they take in information, what sparks that, what triggers that. And some children, they've lost that curiosity altogether in the years they've been in school. Mm. So you, mm. you're kind of waiting for it to reawaken and giving mm. them some time to be bored so they actually start learning for themselves. So, so there's a lot of that, but I want to go back to the structuring timetables and mm. just and just say that it, it is very dependent on you and your child and what works for them. And if they need that timetable, then it's you need to figure that out. But I would say figure out with your child, have a conversation, find out, you know, say to them, look, obviously you really need routine. I really need to make sure that into that routine we're maybe going to cover some things in case, you know, somebody comes to check up on you is a child's on an EHCP possibly um so there might be a review of that you want to be able to reflect that you're coming alongside your child and trying to help them so so trying to have that conversation together with your child and what I would say is on the actual group the on the main group you know just post that question get advice from all the parents that are on there mm. that have all got different children somebody will have a child similar to yours and so you read all the bits of advice and then decide which ones you want to try, see what works, see what doesn't. But timetabling is a very specific thing. Not everyone likes a timetable. Not every child responds well to a timetable. So it's, it's, it's very personal. My journey has been a bit all over the place because we lived in South Africa before and we moved to the UK at quite an awkward time for some of our children when they should have been working towards GCSEs mm. and we hadn't, I was a bit clueless and I had to figure out the system, didn't know how it worked. And so my older children didn't sort of do things traditionally at all, but we did make use of the college system and some of, they all got a qualification and they're all in work. Some of them got some GCSEs, some didn't. 
and then um, it was also very hard back then to find exam centres. Mm. You had to phone a school and um, and if, if the school could decide if they wanted to help you out or not. And so um, when um, some of these private exam centres sprung up, I've, I've got very close connections with one here in Coventry, but I won't do product placement, okay? Um, and I've, I've known them since they set up and they, these are people that ran an exam centre at a school and then saw the need in the market for something for private candidates and set something up. And that actually changed. That was a game changer for us, just having something that was set up for us and we knew that they would support us and help us through the system. It also, it also gives you a little bit more choice often with the uh, exams you sit because obviously if you sit them at a school, you have to sit the exams that their pupils you're are limited, taking. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, 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 you're limited to the exam boards and all of that. So so that was a game changer for us when, when the, that exam centre opened here in Coventry. And... Um, we were able to look at what we could do for our children. And I, I wanted to say that some of these private exam centres, they do charge quite a bit. And there's a they reason do. for that. They don't have a state subsidy. So a school is subsidised. A school covers everything. So you, if you're sitting exams privately, that's way cheaper. So you can still try that with a school. But the exam private exam centres have to maintain an office year-round. They have to maintain staff year-round because they're, they're busy a lot and they've got – and you know, they've got to pay for those halls and everything. So they have to ensure that they have enough income through the year to, to keep going because they can't just open up when it's exam time. Mm. So so I have an understanding for that and a lot, and I know that there are discounts available if you go through their partner organisations and that kind of thing. So something just to look into. So when it came to GCSEs then, I had my one daughter came and said to me, she thinks she should do some GCSEs. I said to her, okay, which ones do you want to do? She went and had a look, came to me, told me which ones. I did make sure she had tutoring for maths because that was not an area I felt comfortable preparing her for the exam. And the tutoring was just to prepare for the exam. Yeah. Um, and then I had an English teacher friend who marks papers for as part of her job. And I just brought her in a couple of times to just talk through what they would be looking through on the exam because it's all about exam prep really yeah I found it very helpful to have tutors just just in the last stages when you've got all the knowledge consolidated yeah. and you need to learn how to actually put it down on an exam paper in the way that the examiner yeah. wants to read yeah yes. I found it very helpful and she set them they set them sort of staggered so they would sit two at a time or whatever but it's kind of interesting because um there were some subjects where my kids have basically started preparation like january and sat them in the summer and passed them so it's very doable because you're not in school you're not restricted by you can do it that way if you want so some people do it that way or some people do all that preparation over two years and then write them all in one go so, but you don't have to you can stagger them which helps financially as well if you're staggering them and then so my next two kids basically also sat down with them and said to them this is the way the world works these are the hoops these are the things you decide and they did the same and um my one daughter got caught sort of in the whole COVID exam cancellation thing mm. and she couldn't write one of hers because she didn't have tutor test grades so she was meant to have five GCSEs for college but because it was such unusual circumstances the college was happy to consider four Mm. So she she still got her place and she's one of the top students in her college um, who's okay. just finished there. Yeah, we got caught in in COVID nightmares as well with yeah. our exams. It was a difficult yeah. time. So so yeah. you used uh, you 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 I know with your older children you approach things slightly differently and and they didn't necessarily have GCSEs, but with your younger ones you approached them and you said, okay, which ones do you want to sit? And then you found your local exam centre. And then you you sat them there. Yeah, yeah. So there's a deadline. You've got to find out what the deadline's going to be mm. for the booking the exam. You work out which exam board you want to use. So that's like AQA or Edexcel or Cambridge or um, I can't remember what the others are now. Um, I've tended to use Edexcel because it's pretty straightforward and accepted across the mm. country. A lot of the schools use them as well. Mm. And then you go and look at which exam you want them to sit and what the codes are, and you've got to enter that out. There are also groups on Facebook uh, to for home educators looking mm. at exams. So once again, go and search 
home education exams or whatever. And we'll we'll put the link. There's a there's a very good mm. national one called Home Ed UK Exams and Alternatives, I believe, yeah. and that's a yeah. very good group. Yeah, so those groups well. are really good, and you can ask your questions, and they've got a really good wiki, an exams wiki that you yeah, can go and we'll read. Yeah, we'll put the link to that as yeah, well. Yeah, so I think that's really good. How do you cope with judgment when others think you aren't learning as you're not sat at a desk all day? It, it's a difficult thing because a lot of people don't just don't get it. They just don't get it. So I'm, I'm, I'm very fond of doing this. I will say to them, so do you think you learned more at school or more after you left school? And if they're old enough, if they're not like fresh out of school, Generally, generally, the response you'll get like, oh, no, actually, I think I probably learned, you know, more after I left school. They don't all say that, but well, that's the hope. And then you say, oh, okay, that's interesting. Why do you think that is? And then they say, oh, well, you know, because I was following my own interests and I could do what I wanted. And you say, well, why would it be difficult, any different for a child? because if you you've got to kind of help that other person get into that understanding, like how do you, well, how do you learn? How do you learn? Yeah. And what sticks out? What makes things stick in your brain for you? Because, yes, there are some things that I found fantastic at school because I did cookery at school. And that was fantastic. And I learned a lot. And I'd go think about that so often when I'm cooking today, I'll remember little things from the classroom. But um, there's some subjects that, I mean, it was a total waste of time, really, <laughs> how they taught it because it just didn't stick. And mastery is really what you're after, is, is mm. to master a subject. And you don't master it from a, a textbook particularly. So, you know, if you if somebody's judging you, try and ask them a little bit about how they learn what works for them. Mm. And then try and bring them back to like, yes, well, actually, this is what I'm doing. Because learning is natural. You don't learn by somebody. And like sometimes you learn when somebody tells you stuff, but you don't retain all of that. You'll retain like one or two things. Mm. You know, and, and it's it's not the same as when you're fully engaged and actually doing and applying that knowledge on the job. And we all know that. But it's yeah. amazing how many people have, have don't put that together with, with at how a child learns. The the other thing I would say with, with judgment is that when you when you make any decision um, that goes against the norm, whatever that is in your life, um, you will always encounter the judgment of other people. Um, and you definitely do encounter judgment as a home educator, but often you just have to sort of remind yourself that you're on your own journey and they really don't, they're not on that journey with you. Your children are on, on the journey with you and they're, whoever that person is, even if it's a family member, it really is just an opinion that you can sort of let wash over you a little bit. Um, or you could just tell them to bugger off, of course, that's the yeah, other option. It depends who they are, it depends who they are how mm, important they are to you. But, you know, I had an, an example where my youngest son, I don't know how old he was, maybe about seven or eight. Um, one Saturday morning, he came to me and he asked me a question like, you know, how long would it have taken to get from Babylon to <laughs> Cairo, whatever Cairo is now, whatever place it was, I don't know. And so I said to him, oh, I said, that's very interesting. So, you know, is this walking or is it driving? And so we had a bit of chat, now if you're walking. And so then we went and looked on a map and we saw what the distance was and we sort of saw which route you might have to take. And then we started talking about like, oh, you know, and actually now there's a canal there, like the Suez Canal where boats can get mm. through and that duck never used to be there. And we ended up watching a video on the Suez Canal and um, we hopped from like one topic to the next. We were all mm. over the place. Mm. And within two hours, he probably covered what, you know, a kid would normally mm. cover in three months of learning. And this is yeah. on a Saturday morning. How yeah. dare he go and learn on a Saturday morning? <laughs> My it's children like, laugh at me that everything becomes a lesson. Everything. Because there's, there's learning in everything, isn't there? There's, but it is, it's, you know, and you, we talk about car schooling, you know, like where you're having conversations mm. in the car. And this happened a lot when my children, all my children were younger, is that we might have, um, we might have, my, I had a son who used to take a stack of science books like this with him to bed for his bed night, his bedtime reading. And he would come to me the next day and say, can we do this experiment? Can we do that mm. experiment? And we, the one experiment he wanted to do was evaporating the water. Uh, so we did like I had a pan and I put some water in, we turned the stove on, evaporated the water and the, the vapor was going up. And then I took a cold lid and put it there and it formed water droplets. So so then, uh, you know, the, a few days later, you're saying to me, oh, you know, like, where, what do the clouds do? You know, where, where does, you know, 
and so I said, well, remember we did that experiment and we showed evaporation and said, well, actually with clouds or like that vapor. And then when, of course, when some of you have cold air hits and it makes rain, you know, even condensate. So we could kind of bring that, but we were in the car. Now, if, mm. you, if a child had learned that thing in school, you wouldn't have known that and you'd never make that, connect those dots. Mm. And mm. I think that's the beauty of home education. If they've got a consistent teacher year after year after year. So if they even did something two years ago, you know, you can bring it into conversation today mm. and uh, you know like whereas in a school classroom the teachers sending all this information i've no idea how much of it is actually retained what's stuck or anything because they move them on regardless no child fails a year ever in this country and um they move them on and wash their hands of them and then do regardless mm. of what they know and then the next mm. teacher picks up and then they totally start from a whole different and maybe that teacher likes them doesn't like them so mm. you know there's all sorts of things that can go on there and the absolute beauty of that consistency of having the same person facilitating their learning along the way and helping them to draw those threads um, and I just want to use a quick little analogy that I love to use and that's to talk about a wardrobe a wardrobe can hold clothes but it can hold clothes in different ways you can like just throw the clothes in you know, maybe you don't have a rail. You just throw the clothes in. It's all there, but you can't find anything. You've got to pick things up. You can't find, can't access. Or you have a rail and you have coat hangers and you hang the clothing on the rail and you hang it up and you can access it. And your child is the one who has to provide the rail and the coat hangers for the information to hang on. We can't force that. Mm. Mm. You know, so, so the, by them initiating their own learning, they put those little frameworks in place on which the information attaches and connects. What about, um, um, because I completely agree with you that that forcing knowledge in learning into somebody just doesn't work. It's like put, squashing sort of jelly into like a tiny little space. But what, what about our members who maybe their children have just been deregistered, they've just come out of school and their child just really isn't engaging and doesn't want to learn. And, and as a parent, they're thinking, well, I'll have to get an online school or something because I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I think it is a very difficult one. but I, And I do think we all have to go through that journey for ourselves to kind of come around to realize, actually, okay, that wasn't maybe Because I did when I did all that structured stuff with the kids and did like actual fun stuff, lots of fun. Mm. With it, making things and dressing up and everything. And years later, I said to my kids, oh, do you remember when we did such and such? I was like, no. <laughs> we had happy memories, but mm. the learning was because it wasn't them. It was me. Mm. Mm. You know, so, so it's like you, it takes a while to get around to that way of thinking. Mm. So, like, for me, one of the things that really helped was starting to to do things together now you do still create those good memories and everything, even if the learning is. So you do things, try and do things together that um, to try and find out who your child is, to mm. figure out what makes them engage, mm. to see what turns the lights on for them. Mm. And a lot of it is also about me being empowered as a parent and doing things that I enjoy and maybe bringing your child along for the ride mm. and them kind of seeing your enjoyment of learning mm. and your enjoyment of taking, grasping with new material and new a new understanding and uh, that role model thing um but i can be very honest that like as i got the older i got the more home, children are home educated the later we did anything structured mm. at all so when i first started off i was doing like the whole schooly thing from when they were three four five and then eventually it was like by the age eight oh perhaps we should start you on some things you know because you just realize that they all catch it up and so mm -hmm. when they when their brains are ready you actually don't have to do much at all. And yeah. you're trying to create that soil, that fertile soil for the plants to grow. Yeah. So, um, and there's a lot of great resources out there. I think just be careful of, of not just replicating, you know, you, you want the lights on. You don't want mm. that dull, bored, disinterested look because then nothing's going on upstairs, I can tell you that. My, my experience of when home education fails and children get put back into school is when the child gets taken out and school gets replicated in the home. Mm. Um, mm. And I find that quite often then, like within a year, the parents put the child back in school because they're like, well, it hasn't worked. But what they've actually done is they've moved the school into their sitting room and, and the child is still not engaging with the work. Yeah. And resistance, if a child is resisting, you're wasting your time. Yeah. So if, if you if you find you come, say for instance you're trying to explain a math problem, this child is not getting it and it's getting emotional, then it's, I can tell you what's happening then is the barriers are going up. Mm. And that's it's time to just take a total step back and wait a little while and take a different tack, try a different approach. Yeah. 
and uh, even if your child a, go is, through a couple of grades if you need to whatever you know this is it because even if your child is older you actually can sit GCSEs at any age can't you you can sit them um, sort of you know a year you two years later yeah and there's more than one way to skin a cat as they say so it's just finding out which one which one works for you but it it's it's these conversations having with other experienced home educators, lots of them, lots of them. Mm. And go and read some books. Uh, John Holt is a favorite of mine, um, How Children Learn, How Children Fail. Mm -hmm. Those are really good to learn. There's really good blogs out there. And if you find a good one, share it on, your, on, on the group um, so that people can be directed there. So that website that I said, the, the julietenglish.co.uk, there's a, um, an article on the different approaches that talks about unschooling, talks about structure, talks about there's a, a, an approach called classical education, uh, Charlotte Mason approach, mm. which is another one which uh, um, it works really well, particularly with younger children, really mm. good way to get going. Some, but one of my other initiatives is a website called streams.education and on that website we're publishing people's stories mm. so home educators can go and submit their own stories onto the website to for the benefit of other home educators mm. so like even if you see somebody writing a great story on Facebook if you want you can say to them go and write it up there mm. because then at least you can find it later mm. and we've got quite a number of stories there now of different things that different people have done so um so you know I'd, I'd, i can share that on the group as well if you're happy yeah that would be great that. Um, that'd be great i think we've covered everything that i wanted to cover are there any last tips or anything juliet that you would like to give sort of like straight out of school new home educators well i would say your community just is is terribly important um just to really connect with others and 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 inform yourself as much as possible yeah. don't rely you know it's your job you know you want to do good for your kids you know you make sure you're informed you should make sure you know what you're doing there are some excellent excellent books out there and the, the wonderful thing I like about a, a reading a good book about home education is because philosophically it builds you up philosophically and ideologically it creates mm -hmm. that foundation that gives you the the kind of the strength and the confidence yeah. to be able to stand up to judgment, to be able to stand up to a local authority, to feel that, you know, you'd, you've made a good confident decision and you've got a, an evidence base for it because there's some, ex like if you read John Taylor Gatto, who wrote about American education and the education system, um, yes, it's American, but there's still a lot of things in there that show what the whole agenda of schooling is to help you understand it so that you actually can um, feel more confident in your decision that you're doing the right thing for your children. But I do believe home education is one of the best choices you can make. It's about being free in how, you know, I, I love to use the words boldness and freedom, educating your children with boldness and freedom. And it does not need to look like school at all because learning does not only happen sitting at a table with somebody talking at you. That's only for some people. So, yeah. Yeah, I, that's, I always say that home education is freedom, flexibility and autonomy. Absolutely. And, and it's, you, you, do, you will get there, you know. It, home education, the one thing I love about it, it transforms the parents. It transforms it does, them. It transforms it? Yeah. the mums. That yeah. are, you, people always think you vegetate when you're at home with your kids. They think you're doing nothing when you're at home with they your kids. They say things like, oh, I'd get really bored if I was at home. No, and it, and no, I always no, feel no. like saying, you're, you're doing it wrong if you're getting bored. <laughs> Yeah, it's going to transform you and it's going to transform your family. It's one of the most positive things you can do for your families. And just please reach out if you are battling because all of us have battled at some time. So please Absolutely. reach out, get the support and the help that you need and your kids will be just fine. They we are still a small and very supportive community. Generally, everyone is here to help each other out. And so anyone who has any problems or anything like that, do just come on. And, and also, if you have any questions after this, um, Juliet's in the group and so she can come and answer them or anyone else who's here can come and answer them as well. Yeah, yeah. Right. Anyway, go, you know, congratulations everyone for making this decision. Enjoy the journey. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Juliet. Thank yeah, you. You're, you're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us for today's Home Education Matters podcast. See you at the next one. Have a lovely day.